All right, it's been a crazy few weeks here for the Yankees in the offseason. And, uh, you know, they lose Robinson Cano to Seattle. They get Kobe Ellsbury, Carlos Beltran. There's reports that uh, Shinsu Chu was even in the mix. Um, it, it's been pretty wild. And joining me here today to talk about the Yankees offseason um, with Christmas just around the corner is Chad Jennings, the uh, Yankees beat writer for the Journal News. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Yankees And uh, check out the, uh, the Lowhud Yankees blog, which is always popular. Chad, how's it going today? Oh, just fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, before we get into this, I always uh, wondered, you know, going back to 07, maybe even 06, when I started uh, checking out the Low Hood blog, which became something I clicked on probably 150 times a day before the before Twitter became popular. You know, you took it over in the middle of uh, 09 with the, with the World Championship run. I've always wondered, you know, what that was like getting thrown into the mix right in the middle of that season. Yeah, it was pretty intense. I, I was covering the AAA team at the time. I was actually driving home. Um, driving from Durham, North Carolina, back up to Scranton. I had been in Durham covering a AAA playoff game. I was driving back to Scranton, had a, another playoff game that night, and uh, Pete Abraham called me and said, you know, basically told me, hey, I'm leaving, going to the Boston Globe. Here's the phone number you should call, and you should call them right now. Um, so I called the paper, I got Journal News on the road, driving from North Carolina to Scranton, and then... Uh, covered a game that night and while covering the game was updating resume and getting clips together. It's, I have no, I don't think I've ever gone back and reread that game story that I wrote, but there's no chance it was worth anything. <laughs> and then, yeah, just jumped in and uh, it was in the playoffs. It was, uh, I, Sam Borden was our columnist at the time. And my, uh, I think my second gamer that I wrote for the paper was the uh, Mark Teixeira's walk-off. And I think it was game two of the division series. And, you know, I mean, a walk-off, game-winning home run in the playoffs, and I'm fresh on the beat. And I just remember Sam just turned to me and he goes, you'll be all right. And I just remember thinking, you have no idea whether I'm going to be all right. This, this may be a complete disaster here. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty intense couple of weeks sleeping on my friend's couch in Harlem and trying to cover a World Series. <laughs> Well, a lot's changed since uh, then, but maybe maybe not so much because you entered in the season com- coming off the season when they missed the playoffs. Uh, they go out, they get Sabathia, Teixeira, Burnett, um, and pretty much since then, or at least since probably 2010-11, we've been hearing about this eventual goal and, and the mandate of $189 million, and uh, it looks like they're going to either come close to it or completely smash it to pieces uh, with what they've done over the last few weeks. So let's start with Robinson Cano you know, leaving because... To me, over the last few years, the biggest uh, downfall of the Yankees was when they lost out in Cliff Lee um, in December 2010. Even so, in July of 2010, when I woke up and thought they got him. But in, two, in December 2010, with no plan B, you know, he's supposed to be a fixture at the start of the rotation. Everyone says he's going to the Yankees. Um, and now here we are with Cano. Everyone just assumes he's going to return. There's no one else that can compete. And now he's gone, and uh, he'll spend the rest of his career with Seattle. You know, it's it's interesting right now. The Yankees past three or four years, their history with them with the uh, Mariners has uh, become pretty convoluted and uh, <laughs> kind of intriguing. Of all the teams, it's the Mariners. But yeah, I, I mean, look, you talk about all the the, the attempts to get under one eighty nine and all this. This the new version of the way the Yankees spend, and it seems like the lesson they learned with Alex was not about money. I, I mean, the thing. It's funny how. We don't talk that often about the Alex salary. We're talking more about, can you believe this guy signed for another four years? I mean, it's the, the length of the contracts is what's really become a bigger issue than the money. And, and the Yankees were willing to spend more per year for Cano than Seattle wound up giving him. 
And the reason that's interesting is because that goes against that that, that was going to count towards the luxury tax. So this wasn't a luxury tax issue. It was it was them not wanting to commit to that much time to a player. And that's an interesting lesson that they've learned, you know, over the years with these huge ten year contracts and kind of the the debacle they've all become. Um, it, it wound up being more about that than than really about trying to save money. When you mentioned Alex there, you know, with his ten year deal. It's odd how things work out because back in 07, coming off that MVP season, it just seemed like the thing that they had to do. And now looking back, it's been, you know, an atrocity considering what's going on since 09 when he admitted to PED use and obviously the disaster that's been the last year or so with Biogenesis. But he sort of changed the way every team does the business because had his deal worked out or at least worked out in some form, had he not been getting hurt all the time, not been involved in PED use and all this extracurricular stuff, maybe other teams are more willing to give out 10-year deals as well. Yeah, and, and it seems like every once in a while, you know, you see a team that thinks, that thinks they're going to be the ones that, that makes the deal that works for them. You know, the Pujols deal, the Cano deal. I mean, the Prince Fielder contract, there are still teams that are willing to go for a really long time with a player. Um, I, I just I was talking to a, an executive from another team kind of leading up to the winter meetings, and we were talking mostly about uh, the, the Royal deal with Vargas. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, this guy brought up, he said, you know, do you really think that, Dayton Moore thinks that's a good contract. Like, no, these people know they know it's not a good idea. I mean, nobody, the, the, the mayors don't think this is a good idea to get 10 years <laughs> to know. But that's, if you want to get in this, if you want to get these guys, if you have to play in the free agent market, you've got to sometimes go to a pretty bad place. <laughs> I mean, a place where you just hope that, you know, you hope that the six years of that contract make it worth the last four when it's a disaster. Well, with Ellsbury now, Cano says he's felt disrespected at the at his offer compared to what Ellsbury got. And it's hard to you know feel like anyone's been disrespected when they're getting offered $175 million to play baseball. But yes. when you put it in, in comparison to Jacoby Ellsbury coming from the Yankees' chief rival, um, a player who's nowhere near the offensive player that Cano is or the all-around player, and to me, he sort of has a point that giving Ellsbury $153 million and offering him only $22 million more, to me, he sort of has a point that, you know, they low, they lowballed him. And this has been a thing with the Yankees pretty much forever, uh, even going back to 98, if you think about what happened with Bernie Williams almost going to the Red Sox. And, you know, they, they tried to screw over Jeter and they, they made it public a few years ago, uh, you know, not letting what he's done for them in the past dictate what they do for the future. And only a year or two before, they go out and bid against themselves for A.J. Burnett, give him a fifth year give him 82 and a half million dollars so it just seems to me like they're always willing to give other teams players more money and they and that's when they start to count their pennies is when it comes to their own guys yeah i, I mean i think sometimes that's true i also think that there is a uh that there's a sense sometimes too that they've got to bring in these guys you know when you like cashman talked about it when, when we were talking to him about finding ellsbury so quickly and how quickly it came together is that once they decided they needed him you've got to get it and that that requires really impressing them and giving them something big, and then you bring them in. I think with their own players, and maybe it is to their own detriment, I don't know, but that there is a sense of you already have them. You don't have to give them that big, whoa moment to bring them to New York. They've been to New York. They've seen it. They know what it is. I mean, they were still going to make Cano the highest-paid player on the market in this free agent market. It's it's hard to like you say it's hard to call that a disrespected thing, but your point about Ellsbury is right. They certainly gave him the kind of contract that he couldn't turn down, 
and they never went that far with Cano. Now, whether they did that because they didn't think a team like the Mariners was going to jump in it, you know, and then once the Mariners did, it's not like the Mariners jumped in at 180. You know, the Mariners jumped in at 240, <laughs> and then you go, well, okay. I mean, we're, they weren't going to go that high, and then it's just over. Um, I, I think there is some, there's something to be said, though, for that desire they have to, to, when there's a player they're trying to bring in, they do try to hit them with something that says, here's, you can't turn this away. This is how we're going to, this is, this is the hook, this is the bait, this is, we've got you on the line now, let's do this. Then you hear about, you know, these reports the other day coming out that after they get Ellsbury, they find out they weren't going to get Cano. So they turn to Chu and offer seven years, $140 million. Now, I'm not sure if this is, if it, there's truth to the report, if it's just a report, which it is currently, but that right there, that's what, $320 million added up. So now they're going to give what they were going to give to Cano and then come over the top with that. It just seems like maybe from the get-go, like you just said, they weren't interested in ever breaking that and they weren't going to go to 200 no matter what. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think that they've kind of set some some parameters on how far they're going to go. You know, I think it's it's interesting and telling that that Cano, that the reported shoe offer that Jeff Passon put out there was, again, a seven-year deal. And a seven-year deal at a little less than what they were going to give Ellsbury. I mean, if you figure that's kind of the way they looked at the market. They were willing to go seven years at this much money for Cano, at this much money for Ellsbury, and then at this much money for Chu. It's kind of the, their, their clear free agent pecking order. But they weren't really willing to go much beyond that. You know, here's what they put, here's how they valued these players. And they're not going to go for a longer deal. They're not going to go way above market value on these guys because they've done that before and it's been a mess. Entering this the post, uh, this off season, should I say? Uh, you knew that they had to make a move at catcher after the disaster behind the plate last year, and when they got Brian McCann, it sort of fell in line with what the Yankees have done since probably you know two thousand one uh, when when they got Giambi after that season, and everyone knew going into that off season, you know, Jason Giambi's going to be a Yankee. That's just how it's going to be. And I sort of had that feeling this year that you know once Brian McCann hit the open market, the Yankees had a need for catcher. They're going to get him, and that's what it was, and that's what happened. Uh, but with the outfield, it's been tricky. Um, I didn't think they'd make a run at Ellsbury. I, I, well, going back, I never thought they'd make a run at Damon or Teixeira, so he sort of falls in line with that. The Chu thing um, comes at a bit as a surprise, but the Beltran thing, not so much. And even though it's you know eight years overdue, uh, Beltran finally get a chance to play in New York. Um, do you think that he was part of the plan all along, or do you think that he only came into the mix once they realized Cano was out um, and with Ellsbury they had this extra money? Yeah, I, I think he was part of the plan initially. I think if they could have gotten him on a two-year deal, they would have done that pretty early. I think once they lost out on Cano, then they were willing to give him a little bit more to, to really lock up that deal. Like you said, I, I think I mean McCann was a no-brainer. Ellsbury was clearly a reaction to, to Cano slipping away. And then after that, it was just looking for the best bat that fit. Um, you know, the attempt to chew surprises me a little bit only because of the limitations he has. I mean, his, his numbers against lefties are so bad. Um, and, and already having, you know, Ellsbury and Gardner in that in that outfield being left-handed, kind of surprised they wanted to go after a guy that, that has such extreme splits. But I think Beltran fits for them. I mean, it's a that's a good fit. They've got, they've already got those sort of raw power guys in McCann and Teixeira and, uh, and Soriano. And then you add just kind of a good all-around switch hitter to, into that mix on a relatively short-term deal, 
uh, to me, it's not as big of a deal that Beltran has as much age as he does when, you know, Soriano's going to be going for this year, Ichiro's going to be gone, uh, Wells is going to be gone. You know, then he becomes sort of like the one old outfielder, and I think it's okay to have one of those guys. Um, so, I, 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 like you said, I think he fits always, and then I think the desire to get him jumped up uh, once Cano is off the board. And obviously we have a long ways to go here, but with Ellsbury, he's locked in, Beltran's locked in, uh, Soriano's locked in, you've got Gardner, you've got Ichiro, and you've got Wells, which is too many people, so people are going to have to obviously go, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. I, I saw Vernon Wells tweeting today that he's changed his number to 19 from 22, and I wanted to make a joke that it probably won't matter after spring training what his number is, but it just seems to me like he's going to be the odd guy out in all this. I don't see them cutting ties with Ichiro. Um, it just seems like Wells will be the the odd guy out, and unless they trade Brett Gardner, which uh, reports are they are not going to, I don't know how you feel about that. So I guess two things here: one being who would be the odd person out, and two, do you believe that you know Gardner's going to be with this team next year? Yeah, I mean, I think Gardner's their most valuable trade chip, but I don't know that he brings back what they need. You know, I don't think Gardner's going to be Brett's not enough to get them a number. Two, three starter. You know, he's more of a kind of guy who's going to get you back to the rotation guy, and they can find that. I mean, that that stuff's either out there on the free agent market, or, or they can even trust one of their young guys to try to fill that. I don't know that it's worth giving up of a relatively cheap outfielder who's gives you great defense and is a, a helpful piece for them. Um, I, I think they'll continue. I think they're still open to trading them, but it's just, are you going to get a piece back that that really makes a significant impact? Um, and that may be hard to do. With Gardner, then, then like you say, there, there's really only room then for one of each row or Wells. Wells, in theory, has some value because he's right-handed, but that's probably not enough to keep him around it, with those two being the option because, you know, each row becomes a fifth outfielder who can pinch run, who can play defense in right field. He's helpful. The only reason I would say Wells may be the guy is just because each row might still have a little bit of trade value if the Yankees eat you know, four million of that contract and are able to get, you know, roughly two million off the books by trading him to someone who wants to use him as a, you know, third or fourth outfielder, maybe to make the team as, a, as their fifth. The scary thing that you mentioned there is with Wells being right handed, and that's really his only asset to the team is that he's right handed. And that's scary because. Joe Girardi always seems to look for these things, and I guess Brian Cashman's part of that too, since Girardi doesn't make all the decisions, but when you go back to Andrew Jones and how bad he was his second year with the Yankees, um, just because he's right-handed, he kept eating at bats, eating at bats until the playoffs when they finally, you know, he wasn't part of the postseason roster, but, and it's it's like that with Girardi and left-handers too, you know, you could be the worst pitcher in the world, but if you throw left-handed, it doesn't matter if you have a 6 or 7 ERA, he'll find guys for you to pitch to, so it sort of scares me that Wells is right-handed because I just have this inkling that you know maybe they keep him around for that for that one reason yeah but again i think that only happens if each row's gone if either each row or gardner's gone i don't i don't think they're going to keep him as a right-handed bat strictly because he's right-handed i mean i think he would have to be kind of the one role he could play you know i mean you could put Zoilo almonte in that role but he's a switch hitter who is much better from the left side really what role is Zoilo going to play off the bench? You know, it, that, that's the way I could see Vernon Wells sliding in there. But uh, but like you said, I, he does, there is a tendency with Joe and, and probably with Cash too to, to want that, to want that right-handed bat to come in and get a big, a big at-bat against the lefty. But I don't think in the case of Wells, because of the way that the roster's constructed, 
I don't think they would keep him strictly because he's right-handed. I think they would only keep him if their other left-handed options are gone or one of the other left-handed options is gone. Well, if Gardner's gone, it seems like the only thing that he'd be worth trading for is starting pitching because that's the biggest need mm-hmm. on this team right now. Uh, with Sabathia, with Kuroda, with Nova, um, holes at the back end of the rotation, whether it becomes Phelps, uh, whether Pineda's uh, healthy enough to pitch. Um, so there are holes in the rotation, which is definitely a concern because they're not going to go anywhere this year if uh, if they don't get their starting pitching together. But what do you see right now? I know that the, the market's sort of thin when it comes to, to starting pitching, and Cashman went into this season saying he was going to have to find 400 innings from somewhere um right now as we sort of head to the end of the calendar year uh and and the market's going to take you know better shape over the next few weeks when it comes to starters who do you think makes the most sense for them to fill those last two spots and if it's not from in-house which reportedly it might be yeah i mean i think they're going to get i think they'll fill one of those last two spots in-house you know whether it's Pineda or phelps or warren or somebody i I think they can get one i think they can get their fifth starter in-house They'd rather not get the fourth starter in house as well. Um, you know, a lot of this hinges on Tanaka. Yeah, you know, I think if he's out there, he's the kind of guy who's worth investing in for this team just because he is relatively young and you can give him a long term deal and at least trust that he's not going to be, he's not going to be 39 by the end of it. Um, but if he's not out there, then it's really up to the market. I mean, the market's going to kind of dictate if, Guys like Santana and Garza and Ubaldo and Menezes are, are if, if they're getting these huge, outrageous contracts only because they're the best available on the market, I think the Yankees have kind of shown with the Cano deal that they're not necessarily going to pay a premium just because you're the best of what's there. I mean, I think they want to make a deal that makes sense, and I'm not sure the market's going to make a deal with Garza or Menezes or Santana makes sense. You know that. These guys might get paid like number one starters just because there really isn't a number one starter out there. Um, and I wonder if they'll back away because of that and maybe go to Paul Mahomes or something. You know, I mean, one of these kind of more bottom of the rotation guys and just hope to fill some innings that way because the, the market just isn't good. I mean, pitching pitching's become really, really hard to find. And, uh, and and the market, this year's free agent market certainly plays out that way and, and doesn't help the Yankees much. With the infield now, you know, going into this season, there's pretty much question marks all around the infield. Uh, Teixeira coming back off the wrist injury. Um, Jeter coming back off a very, very, very shortened season. Um, Cano's gone at second. At third, no one knows what's going to happen with A-Rod. And even if he is able to play, who knows, you know, how many games he'll be able to play, what his production will be. So pretty much all the spots, there's question marks. Um, I didn't think that they were willing to to start this season with, you know, possibly Nunez and Johnson starting at uh, two of the spots if, if A-Rod is suspended. So they go out and they sign Brian Roberts a move that I really like because you know he's had a, a few injuries over the season some freak injuries some not but it's a it's a veteran guy you know looking to bounce back um, looking to prove himself and maybe get another deal after his time with the Yankees uh, he is 36 years old but he does provide the things I think that they need and I thought they needed a veteran guy there to step in uh, what are your thoughts on the move to sign Brian Roberts yeah I mean I think it's fine it's you know do you sign Brian Roberts for two million or Mark Ellis for 5.2 I you know, I mean, you kind of, it's, it's again, it's a pick-your-battles kind of situation. Um, obviously, he wasn't the best or most reliable second baseman out there, but if you're just looking for, you know, somebody who kind of has the potential to fill that spot, that ninth in the order, and, and has at least some chance of the upside of some veteran production, 
it's fine. I mean, it, it's the kind of move that I think they needed to make. You know, they needed to get just a an experienced guy who could who they could put in that position and, and feel good about playing him out there. If he stays healthy, he could be helpful for him. If he gets hurt, look, that's just that's why they have Kelly Johnson. That's why they went out and got Dean Anna to give him some some insurance. They still have a. Uh, Brendan Ryan, who can defensively handle the position. They have backup options there. That's just kind of the way they're going to try to do second base, it looks like. They're just kind of mix and match and, and plug the hole. I think he's fine as long as the expectations aren't that he's going to be a top-of-the-order leadoff hitter again, because he's probably not that anymore, but he may be a guy who can who can fill in there and give you 300 at-bats at second base. It seems to be a really, you know, weird transitional year. And, you know, you don't expect what happened to happen last year with the injuries. Uh, pretty much everybody on the entire team getting hurt and then their backups getting hurt. Uh, and now entering this season uh, with as many, you know, guys, new faces, a lot of turnover on this team, it's hard to really um, grasp or expect uh, to know what's going to happen with the 2014 Yankees. But when you look at what happened with the Red Sox coming off their, you know, disastrous season in 2012, they turn around, they win the World Series. And with the five game or five team playoff format, you pretty much have to be really awful to not be in it. And uh, we saw that with this Yankees team this last year that, you know, they took this season to the fourth, to get the last game of the season before they were finally mathematically eliminated uh so you know they are better right now than they were last year and i i think the moves that they've made overall so far have been good they obviously need to you know get the pitching staff uh find those last two guys but overall um as you know they sort of wind things down with what they're doing here for next year um how do you compare them to what they were going into last year before the all the injuries struck it's hard to evaluate this team as they are now compared to 2012 or 2013 because you're really, if you look back at last year's team, there's two very different versions of it. I mean, you're looking at the version that they had heading into spring training, where, you know, even a guy like Cervelli, who came off to a pretty good start to the year, you know, he, he was looking early on like he was going to be a really helpful piece. He was hitting a little bit, he was throwing out runners, and then the whole thing fell apart. Um, so, how this team compares to the theory of last year's team. It's harder to say because the, the only reality we know, though, is the team that the Yankees actually put out there, where they they didn't. This team really didn't lose Granderson. They didn't have Granderson last year. You know, it's not like Granderson is a oh, you know, you've got to replace that offense. They didn't have that offense most of the year. They they upgraded first base just by getting Teixeira healthy. Um, in theory, they've already upgraded at shortstop if Teixeira's able to play it. And even if he's not, you assume he can maybe slide over to third or something and help out there. They've clearly upgraded at catcher. They've clearly upgraded in right field. They've got Ellsbury now on the roster, you know, however you want to consider it. Ellsbury basically replaces Vernon Wells, I guess, and that's clearly an upgrade. Um, Carlos Beltran clearly replaces Travis Hafner. That's an upgrade. I mean, the, the lineup is better than what the Yankees actually used last year. I, I don't know if it's better than the theory of what they had last year, but, but the lineup is better than what they what they actually had. The pitching is a big question now. I mean, there, there was offense to be had. The Yankees went out and signed some of the best hitters out there. Now it's just a matter of can they actually get enough pitching to to support this hitting and and keep every game from being ten to twelve. All right, Chad, I appreciate the time, and uh, there's been a lot going on, so I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk about it. And we'll have to do this again as we get closer to spring training, or if uh, any other big moves happen to arrive between now and then. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd love to do it. All right, thanks again. You got it.